Welcome to Narrative Responsibility, a podcast about examining the meta story of your life, how well it is serving you, and how to change it for the better. I'm Elena Wolf, relationship coach and life alignment mentor, and this is this week's new perspective. Hi there! I'm so glad you're here today. This is episode 19, an introduction to the MBTI and Jungian type. Oh man, I am so excited about this episode because basically this type theory is one of my very favorite things. It's one of my favorite frameworks to use, one of my favorite narratives, if you will. And I cannot wait to talk about it more and be able to talk about it going forward now that I will have introduced it to my audience. Also, side note, I am super impressed with myself that I managed to get nearly 20 episodes in without talking about this, (laughs) or at least not doing more than referencing it. Uh, So for any of my personal friends listening, let's just sit back and think about the fact that that was nine hours of me talking straight without getting into this. Like, I don't know. Can you believe it? I can kind of not believe it. But anyway, here we are. It's the magical day today that we're going to talk about it. So a couple caveats up front. This topic is information heavy. Just be prepared for that. And also, even though it's going to be very information heavy, it is also basically going to be the highest level overview of this system that I feel like I can offer while still giving you a real sense of the value of the system. So it's basically only scratching the surface. I have been working with this system and studying myself through this lens, studying other people through this lens, working with clients through this lens for nine years, and I still find more meaning in it. It is a very rich system that has a lot of levels to it and a lot of complexity that is reflected, even though the base structure of the system is actually pretty simple. So to give you a bit of an agenda for the day, I'm going to start with an overview of what the system kind of is, a little bit of the history and social context for it, and then actually get into the system itself, like what it means, what information it conveys, and hopefully wrap up with a little bit of applied or practical use for you to get a better sense of the the reason that I like it so much and use it so much as a teaching tool and a tool for self-reflection. All that said, let's dive in. At its core, type is a theory of mind. And when I say type, I mean the personality preference type that comes from your MBTI scoring or whichever of the Jungian types you identify yourself with. It's a theory of mind. Basically, it's a model of how we relate to information, how we relate to the inner world and the outer world that we experience. So how is it that we learn and how is it that we make decisions from what we learn? That's the information that this model describes. It proposes that humans have certain psychological spaces aspects of consciousness, or what might be termed cognitive functions, and that individuals relate to 
these psychological spaces, these cognitive functions, in a variety of ways. There are different patterns of use for these cognitive functions that are within the expected scope of human presentation, and each of these different patterns of use creates a different personality type. I'm going to pause here and just insert a little bit about the distinction between personality as we tend to think of it in terms of social traits and what this theory of mind is describing when it calls something a personality. Because if we think of personality traits as being things like, oh, they're really funny or they're really kind or they're kind of cold or they're very quiet, they're shy, that sort of thing, those are essentially learned behaviors and we might have a sort of natural propensity toward being, you know, more social or less social, but often that's really also a result of how we were socialized within our family, within our culture, what experiences we were exposed to, what training we were given, what feedback we were given all along by the people around us, and, you know, the behaviors that made us feel more or less welcome and accepted with those people around us. That kind of trait is not really what this theory of mind is describing. This is really talking about active use propensities, an innate style of cognition akin to handedness. It might inform what we are drawn to do or where we find it easy to develop skill and rapidly gain maturity and expertise, but it's really not about, you know, someone being charming or someone being a jerk. That's not part of it. Okay. So maybe you're thinking that this is all well and good, but also really abstract and I don't understand what you mean and I don't really see why it matters. And where does it come from? Who came up with it and why do we believe them? So <laughs> type theory comes from originally Carl Jung's book, Psychological Types, which was originally published in 1921 in German and translated into English and published in 1923. At this point, that means we are more than 100 years into psychological type as a concept. Jung's work was based on patients that he saw in his psychotherapy practice. Basically, he was cataloging the variety of ways that people presented as being unbalanced. These were things that he observed in the problems that they came to him with and the ways that they were behaving, the kind of the ways they were making choices. And he perceived it as overuse of one of these spaces of consciousness and specifically overuse to the detriment of that person or their relationships or their prospects. Jung believed that the psyche is a system that always seeks balance. So the theory was meant to help people recover from being unbalanced, from being one-sided. The MBTI, uh, which by the way stands for Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, I don't, I don't think I said that up front, the MBTI is an assessment that helps you figure out which of Jung's cognitive functions you prefer, basically where you're going to be at risk of overdoing or underdoing certain types of consciousness, certain spaces of cognition. The MBTI was developed in the USA during World War II by a mother and a daughter, Catherine Briggs and Isabel Briggs Myers. 
they were working both from Young's work and their own observations of people. And they developed the instrument basically to help women who had never worked outside of the home identify what might be good work to go into. This was a time when socially a lot of labor gaps were happening because most of the men were off fighting. And so it was primarily designed to help find work that fit. Briggs and Myers expanded on Young's theory because they found uh, as they went through assessing various people that actually most people seem to have two natural biases, not just the one that Young was observing. In other words, we have a couple parts of consciousness, a couple of these psychological spaces that we prefer to inhabit, not just one. Or you could say a couple different ways that we get unbalanced, not just one. <laughs> Being human, it's so fun, so complicated, right? Actually, it is kind of what makes it fun, but <laughs> also what makes it complicated. The MBTI has a parallel system called Socionics that was developed in Eastern Europe, I believe entirely independently from Jung's work as well, and it came to many of the same conclusions about how people use the cognitive functions that Jung described. I don't know Socionics deeply enough to try and teach it, so my focus really is on the MBTI. That is the one that I know better and uh, the one that is more broadly used around the world. So at this point, you know, we're 100 years into Jung's work. We're also basically 80 years into the MBTI. That's being in active use, having research, having exploration by people all over the world. It has its detractors and people who dismiss it as unscientific or will try and say that, oh, real psychologists don't believe in that. And it might be that right now in academic psychology, it's not a primarily used tool, but that's actually not true that it's always been that way. There's a long history of doctored psychologists as well as type enthusiasts uh, using it, publishing papers about it. There have been people who've written their doctoral dissertations based on it. My personal mentor in MBTI and Jungian type is Dr. Dario Nardi, and he has an online assessment, I think it's Keys to Cognition, that at this point has logged over 130,000 unique entries. There have been some statistical analyses done of that database that kind of arrive at the same conclusion that Myers and Briggs did, which is that, yeah, there are clear patterns for how we use our cognitive functions in preferential ways. They make predictable patterns of skill development. And Dr. Nardi has also been working for, at this point, nearly 20 years with EEG brain imaging to see what patterns of brain use in the neocortex might correlate either to type patterns or just the cognitive functions themselves. He's written several books about it. And I guess full disclosure, I will add that I have gotten to do a brain imaging session. It was absolutely fascinating. And for whatever this anecdote is worth to you, my brain scan results correlated to what we both predicted based on how I experience myself operating and how he observes me operating. That said, I do understand why some people are quick to dismiss it 
there is a way of presenting type that kind of sounds like vague descriptions, which could apply to anyone. And, you know, for most people, type is not measurable with a tool, with an instrument, the same way heart rate is. But patterns can still be empirically observed, that is, observed outside of the self, even if they can't be measured with a physical tool. And a hypothesis can be made from type theory and then tested. So this would be something like, I hypothesize someone of a certain type preference would be energized by activities A, B, and C and drained by activities X, Y, and Z. And then you test it. You have several people who you suspect to be that personality type and then other people who you suspect to be a different personality type do those activities and report how they feel before, during, and after. This is a theory of mind that can be tested. It can be applied into action and tested out. That's why I'm a believer. I did test it. I have tested it. I've tested it and I continue to test it against myself and with friends and with clients. Specifically, I like to test it in terms of energy management and communication. I look at what activities drain me and what activities energize me. I tell my clients to look at that. I look at how we solve problems, how we go about trying to find solutions and whether the approaches we're taking are in alignment with our preferred cognitive spaces. Like I said, I'm a believer. So that kind of covers what, broadly speaking, type is and how it came to be. But what does it actually describe? Like, how does it work? What is it going to tell you about yourself? All right. Type preference is another way of saying the filters that you have on the world. This is the information that you're going to see as most relevant, most important, most significant. And it's also going to be the filter of what actions you see as most necessary, most proper, most useful to take. I'm using qualifiers like most relevant and most necessary for a reason. Because we all have and we all use all of the aspects of consciousness that Jung described, all those cognitive functions. It's just that we use them in different orders of preference. Again, kind of like handedness, or maybe you could think of it as foreground, background. Type preference tells us what we notice first, but that's not to say that we can't notice more than that. Type preferences tell us the kind of actions we want to take first but that doesn't mean those are the only actions we can ever take. So type is a model of human cognition that explains both the variety of cognitive spaces and the ways we prefer certain ones over others. So then to talk about these different cognitive spaces, I'm going to go back to Jung's work and then pull in what the MBTI looks at. So Jung proposed that we have two broad aspects of consciousness, perceiving or learning information and judging or making decisions based on that information. So those are the two initial broad categories that we're looking at, perceiving and judging. And then he split those into two subcategories, 
under perceiving, which is again how we learn about the world. He saw that we have a sensing mode and an intuiting mode. Notice that these are verbs. These are action words because we actively use these cognitive processes. These are not static, innate qualities. These are actions we can take. Judging or decision-making has a thinking mode and a feeling mode. Again, verbs, action words for active use. So now we have four ways of using our consciousness. For learning, we have sensing and intuiting. For deciding, we have thinking and feeling. If you split them one more time, then you arrive at eight spaces of consciousness, eight cognitive functions. In this last case, the division is about which direction the action points. Is it inward into the self or outward into the world? The inward pointing actions are called introverted actions. So this would be introverted sensing, introverted intuiting, introverted thinking, introverted feeling. It's doing each of those different actions to learn or to decide, looking inward toward the self and the inner world. The outward pointing actions are extroverted. These would be extroverted sensing, extroverted intuiting, extroverted thinking, extroverted feeling. Again, it is acting in each of those ways to sense, to intuit, to think, to feel, but directed outward into the world beyond the self. Again, we all use all of these eight cognitive functions. Type simply describes which of these functions we activate most easily and use most often. Okay, so what do these really mean? We'll start with the perceiving processes. A sensing preference or using your sensing process to learn is to use experience, your physical senses, the here and the now, maybe your kinesthetic or aesthetic awareness, your body, your relationship to the world and to, to space in it. That's what you use to learn with. That's how you perceive. Again, it's the here and now, or it is the things you have directly experienced. That's what informs how you see the world. If you have an intuiting preference, on the other hand, you tend to look at the abstract first rather than the physical or concrete. You're looking at patterns, you're looking at theories, ideas, symbolic or maybe metaphoric meanings. You're going to look at, for example, a forest. You're going to see it as a concept of forest ecosystem before you're going to see the individual trees and what types of trees they are or even the, the colors that make them up. It's not that you don't perceive those things. It's just it's foreground background. The first thing that you're, that you're perceiving is this abstract concept. So what does thinking do? What is the action of thinking? Well, if you're acting on your thinking preference, you are using logic or impersonal objective criteria. You're looking at a goal or maybe trying, just trying to make progress and seeing what will move you toward that goal, what's going to create that progress. 
There might also be like principles or axioms that you follow across contexts that you use to help help you decide. Feeling, on the other hand, is a human impact-based way of making decisions. It's going to look at values and ethics, the emotional or relational impact of an action. What is the experience that I'm having or would have? What is the experience this other person is having or would have? That kind of covers the broadest aspects of type, that it describes how we learn and how we decide. I think it would be a little bit too much information to go into each of the eight functions individually to describe their specific area of expertise. So I'll leave it there with the kind of broad categories of four, where you know roughly what actions lead to intaking information via sensing and what is going to be understood via intuiting. And you know roughly what criteria are being examined if you're using a thinking versus a feeling function to make a decision. All right, so what is then, what is the MBTI? How is it different? Well, the MBTI is a four letter type code. This is going to cover four different binary choices where each level you will have one or the other. And some of them will sound like they directly correlate to your cognitive functions and some of them won't. So you are either introverted or extroverted. You either have an intuiting or a sensing preference. You have either a thinking or a feeling preference and you have either a judging or a perceiving preference. So those are the, the four choices that you have to make. And you end up with a code that's going to be something like ESFP, INTJ. There's 16 different combinations. They are governed by the patterns of cognitive function use. In order to have a balanced and functioning psyche, we have to be able to both learn and decide and we have to be able to touch our inner and our outer worlds. So each personality type will have two functions that it uses well. One of them will be for learning, so either sensing or intuiting, and the other will be for deciding, again, thinking or feeling. One of those functions will point inward and one of them will point outward. So one of them is going to be an introverted function and the other will be an extroverted function. And one function will be just a little bit more dominant than the other. Like you will prefer it just a little bit more. That is your dominant function. If your preferred function is introverted, then you will have an I. You will be overall an introverted personality. On the other hand, if your preferred function points outward, you would be overall an extroverted personality. And then in terms of the judging versus perceiving, that preference is determined by whether your outward facing function is a judging function or a perceiving function because that is going to be the part of you that most other people see. So if you have a thinking or a feeling function that points outward, you're going to be considered a J type because you are extroverting your judging function of either thinking or feeling. And if you have an extroverted learning process, an extroverted perceiving process, which is going to be either intuiting or sensing, then that's going to make you a P personality preference because the extroverted side of you that others see is going to be that perceiving process. So that's kind of the lowdown on how the MBTI four letter type code is linked to the eight functions. 
and the 16 codes become a shorthand for the 16 possible preference pairs that meet those criteria of being one judging function, one perceiving function, one extroverted and one introverted, and then having a specific order of dominance between the two of those functions. So why does all of this matter? Okay, it's cool that you can describe how somebody likes to learn and how they like to make decisions, but really, who cares? Fair enough. Um, For me personally, this mattered a lot because my personality type is overall a fairly rare one. And I think the non-even distribution of type across both our culture broadly and then in small, smaller subgroups of our culture is actually why type matters so much and where the real power of the system is for making people's life better. Fundamentally, human beings are social animals. We have a lot of parts of our, of our brain that are literally physiologically designed to be in relationship with and to be taking social cues in and giving that information back to the people that we're relating with. And if you have either an uncommon personality type just overall or within your specific family or community, like I've, I've seen examples of people who are maybe overall, you know, a personality type that has 10 or 15% of the population, but in their specific family, they're the only one like themselves. And so they feel like the odd one out. In order to feel normal, like that we fall within the normal range of human experience, we really need to see ourselves reflected in other people around us. Or we need to be aggressively validated for what we are. And frankly, most <laughs> most of Western culture kind of sucks at that. It's just, it's not a, a strong suit that we have. I can't speak for other parts of the world, but at least for the way I was raised as a millennial in America, there's a lot of lip service for everyone's unique gifts and then no actual validation of those gifts just a lot of messaging of where you're different and not conforming and not doing what you're supposed to do and not being like everyone else so if you're not going to be validated in the right way then you need to see yourself mirrored in other people you need to see other people who are like you who think like you who behave like you who look at a problem or a situation and see the same information as relevant and useful. Moreover, we also need people who can teach us how to use our gifts appropriately. Like if you're someone whose dominant function is way down in preference use for the people around you, then by the time you're a teenager, you've probably developed more skill with it and certainly have more capacity with it than anyone around you. And where do you go to learn? You kind of feel like you're trying to go off the edge of the map. And maybe that's exciting, but maybe it's also scary. Or maybe there's things that it just doesn't even occur to you to try to do because you've never seen anyone doing them, but that actually you have the capacity to do. You have a gift that you could be using that you're not because you don't have someone who can be an appropriate mentor for you, who can kind of show you how to be what you are. Or conversely, who can help you 
learn in ways that work for you how to kind of shore up the places where you're not naturally very good. Again, if you're not in alignment with the people around you in terms of, of your preference stack, then there might be things that they all do effortlessly and think are super easy and can't understand why you're struggling with. They can't explain to you how to do them in a way that you can follow because they're explaining as if you had their dominant function and you don't. Part of it is just kind of learning how to effectively be what we are. But type theory also offers a neutral frame for observing ourselves and observing others. And it's a, it's a way to look at differences of ability or comprehension as differences rather than as judgments. So, you know, in the example I just gave above where maybe there's something that everyone around you finds really easy and you find really difficult, you know, are they treating you as if you're maybe lazy or rebellious or stupid for not being able to do it when you don't see the world the same way that they do. And that's where the problem is coming from, not a lack of willingness or a lack of trying. And just having a framework that can point to that dynamic and express it in a neutral way. Oh, this is just a difference. It's a difference of wiring. It's a difference of, of what you see as the relevant information in a situation can make the difference between someone treating you with judgment or as if you're trying to, to make life difficult for them or with compassion and empathy and actually give you the help that you need to understand the task. Our type preference pattern can show us where our current gifts are, where we have really high capacities and where we probably have a lot of skill development. And it can also show us what are the other spaces of consciousness, the other cognitive functions that we probably don't have as much capacity with, that we haven't built as much skill with, and therefore where we have a lot of room for growth or may kind of be needing to deliberately compensate for parts of life that would be handled by that aspect of consciousness. So in that way, it can also be like a really amazing roadmap for growth. Hey, here's where your talents are. That's what you should be trying to leverage. And also here's where you may be struggling. Those are also going to be growth points in a different sort of way. Like that's going to be for stabilizing and your gifts are going to be for expanding and really doing something dazzling. Type is not a box. It does not tell you where to go in life. It just gives you a best fit path for trying to get there. What are going to be the best strategies and actions for you to take to try to get there? It's a pattern of development that spans a lifetime and a constant rebalancing of our psyche as we grow and, and as we develop and move into new aspects of ourself and start folding in some of those less used spaces of consciousness, those cognitive functions that are further down in our preference stack. My mentor Dario often refers to type as seeds for different types of trees. Are you growing to your full expression of self or are you kind of being stymied by suboptimal environmental conditions? Like you can put a pine tree in an apple orchard and an apple tree on a mountain and they're probably going to grow, but are they, do they really become everything that they could be? Type can help you become everything that you can be by identifying blocks to growth and showing you what your full potential is. 
So I don't know how much type theory I will get into beyond this. I don't know how much I will reference it or pull it in. That's just going to be <laughs> case by case basis. I know at some point I will do a dive into how to apply type in our RPG builds and character assessments. I don't know whether that would be like one master episode or, you know, 16 different character episodes or maybe like one big one and then put 16 profiles on my Patreon or something like that. But I think that's plenty for today. I hope that I explained the system decently well in terms of what it tries to describe and capture about our experience of being human and why it has value and what it can do for you. So thank you for tuning in. I will put a few visual aids on my Patreon uh, probably later this week. So if you are a Patreon member, make sure you keep an eye out for those. And if you're not, but you're interested, then you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash narrative responsibility. If you want to know more about my work as a coach, I do a lot of coaching. I call it life alignment, <laughs> um, but it's really basically getting your life into alignment with your MBTI or Jungian type. You can check out thepatternbreaker.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thepatternbreaker. And until next time, what part of your story are you going to take responsibility for this week? Thank you.